Welcome to the Nopal Queens podcast. This is your chingona, La Sirena, a licensed clinician and higher education professional. Hola, and I'm La Estrella, and I'm a first-gen financial inclusion and brand marketing leader and badass queen. And here at Nopal Queens, we serve up real conversations about mental health and wellness from the Latinx perspective. Welcome back to another episode of Nopal Queens, and today we are going to be touching on another um, topic along with our First Gen February series, which is on first generation motherhood, or just, you know, motherhood, but we're first generation and, and what that looks like, right? So today I'm really excited. So I'm here obviously with my amazing co-host, La Sirena, and we have a very... Yes, hello. And we have a very special guest joining us today in this motherhood conversation. Um, one of our sorors, Annabelle. Say hi. hi, guys. <laughs> so thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited um, for us to touch on this topic. I know we've had a lot of really great conversations around what motherhood looks like and you know, how we grew up versus how we want to raise our children now. And I think we all bring a really great perspective to the table because like I have two small kids, um, uh, about to be two and four years old. So in that, um, terrible toddler stage and we have Annabelle with, uh, a couple of kids that are preteens. So that's also a very difficult and interesting stage. And then, La Sirena comes to us with an older teen. So uh, there's a lot of really great perspectives here to share. So with that, we, we can just go ahead and get into it. Um, I, I kind of wanted to uh, pose a question for you, Annabelle, um, on we had, what we kind of had been touching on as far as what motherhood um, means to you in the sense of like how you grew up and certain generational toxic generational cycles that you've chosen to break um well let's see Ooh, there's a lot i would say that after adulthood the hardest hood is motherhood because you are in a place where if you didn't have the best upbringing um you want to make different choices for your kids because you don't want to feel how you felt as a child right whether your parents acknowledge it or not, you want to, you know what you lived through, right? You know how you felt and you want to be different. So it's learning to want to get out of the same cycle, how you've seen your grandmother raise your mother, how you've seen your mother raise you and how you want to move forward. Um, I think it's super important that you make the choice and you look at the ways that you were raised and say, this is what I do not want. And this is what I do want because there's good and bad. Right. And there's a lot of things that I took from my mother that I want to continue with my children. There's a lot of things that I was just like, Ugh. later in life, I learned that it was my own, my mother's own trauma and things that she went through. And, and I understood it for that. Right. I didn't blame her for it because she did what she knew how to do and how she was raised. So understanding it, picking what it is that you want, and then moving forward from it. 
And then everything that's not what you want, don't do that. You know what I mean? Um, and making sure that your kids feel loved, not that you just tell them, but that they actually feel it. Because you can tell a kid that you love them all day long, but if they don't feel it, it won't matter. Mm, that's powerful. Yeah, that's a really great point. And, and um, really quick, I feel like I missed this in the beginning, but you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us a little bit about yourself. I hate doing that because I get like, I mean, I don't know what you guys want. I feel like titles are like what I do for a living. It's not really important, I don't think. Um, but I would say, well, first of all, my name is Ana del Raya. Um, I am a first generation college student. First female in my family to attend college. Along with my sister, we joined the same year. Yeah, first one to graduate too. Um, Snaps. I know, totally. And um, I do uh, case management for a criminal law firm, which is really interesting. It's never a dull moment. Um, and I would say I consider myself an okay mom, <laughs> but like cool a little bit. Not a regular um, mom, but a cool mom. Not a regular mom. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not like a the mom that cuts out the little food and fruits and stuff and put, like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. cute stuff. But um, they get lunches, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and sometimes... Three square meals a day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're fat. They're alive. And they're healthy. And um, they love yeah. the heck out of you. So that says a lot. They do. My kids actually love me. They find me funny and stuff. So, <laughs> And I think that that's cool. Because my son wrote this little thing where it says, um, they had to choose who's your hero. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. He chose me. Oh, he said you were? Yeah, he said I was his hero. And I was like, that's huge. You know? I and my like preteen, she tells her friends. You know, she'll come home and she'll be like, oh, my friend so-and-so said hi. And I'm like, they said hi. (laughs) Friends only say hi to parents when you talk good stuff about parents. They think I'm cool. And she's like, mom, you're doing too much. I was like, I just want to know. You know, just take the hint. You're good. She's not going to actually tell you. Don't let me tell you, mom. Exactly. (laughs) Can nobody tell me nothing? So, yeah. And I love that. I love that. I think it's awesome that you've created, you've chosen to create this really amazing relationship with your kids. And, Mm. you know, I've seen you from, you know, when you first became a mom and I was still, you know, sucking on my thumb, I feel like. (laughs) And you were like, you know, I felt like you were all grown up and you were having a baby and and you did all all of that. I kind of feel like you helped kind of pave the way for some of us who are, you know, now just becoming moms or we're moms of little kids. And and I, I saw how you really just embraced your kids and allowed them to be who they are. And, you know, it, it, I feel like it took you a while, but you also did that with yourself, right? Like accepting yourself where you're at in motherhood and finally letting go of like all of these cultural and societal expectations and like what a mom is supposed to be or look like or do or say, you know? And so, 
for me, you know, I, I just want to let you know, Annabelle, that you've really helped me in my motherhood journey. So I want to thank you for that because I feel like you kept it very real with me. Like, bitch, don't do it. It's <laughs> crazy, you know. Uh, but I'm, I've always been very much, uh, you you know this, I, I like to learn things the hard way. So, of course, I did learn the hard way how, how hard it really is. But, you know, you've always really been great at, at keeping it real when it comes to motherhood. Right. And it's I hard. appreciate that. And, and, you know, it's like fighting through those societal and for us being Latinas, cultural expectations, right? Like, you know, and, 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 and you guys can talk a little bit about how, kind of how you saw your, your own moms do that and, and maybe even your grandmothers and, and now how you view yourself knowing, knowing what you know now, right? Yeah. Um, it is difficult when you have children to stand up to your parent. It's like they're telling you how to do things, right? You're trying to keep this little guy alive and your mom's telling you how you should be doing it. And constantly how breastfeeding works, how taking care of the baby, how much you're supposed to be holding it or not holding it. You know, because they, they do that. They tell you, don't carry it so much because all it'll want is to be carried and then you're not going to be able to do anything. And it's like, I had a baby. Lo vas a this is what, yeah, this is what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be taking care of this little thing. I don't care about laundry. I don't care about anything else. This is, this is it. This is my little thing and I'm going to take care of it. Stop trying to tell me how to take care of my own little being that I created like this is mine because you do become um it, it changes you change you become this person that you you feel like you have to do everything in your power to protect the child right whether it's from other people from illnesses shit from their own other parent from other family members and that's exactly what I had to do I had to stand up for myself and for my kid to my mother and all the other mothers in my family because they had an opinion about how I was supposed to raise my child. And I was like, no, I'm going to hold my baby. I'm going to love it and I'm going to kiss it and I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it everything that I, I, I want to give this baby, right? And it was really hard to stand up to my mom and be like, this is what I want from you in order to have a connection with my child. And that was huge because somehow I feel like, especially in the Latino community, mothers, we feel like we own our children and their children and their children and their children. And it's problematic when you're trying to remove yourself from whether it was verbal abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, or any other type of abuse because it happens. It gets brought down generation from generation and it's normalized. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. They make it seem like it's okay. <clears throat> You're struggling. You're having a bad day. Whatever. It's okay to, you know, go with the chancla at the kids if they get too loud. Yeah. Right. So. That was like a total issue. My mom is was the first gen parent. And I think we mean first gen like your 
family may be coming from another country mm -hmm. and then you're the first one to be parenting your child here in the U.S. And, um, and so my abuelita on my mom's side did, you know, there was of that, that chancla culture that was present, of course, you know, there were seven of them. So you had to reel them in and, and they that. didn't listen. Yeah. And there was five boys, two girls. And so, you know, it's just a lot, I think. Yeah. yeah. She's doing the best she can, but I remember my mom explaining to my abuelita because she would help watch us like you're not going to hit my kids like you can't hit my kids um, and if you do you can't be around them so mm -hmm. we were spared and it was a privilege that our parent actually my mom was willing to stand up to her mom and no one else did so my cousins had kind of a different experience right and did get that Yeah. so it was um so prevalent that my mom knew which like the choosing right we're talking today about choosing which it's like an intentional process to break these generational cycles mm -hmm. yeah. and that was one that she she definitely participated in actively is like we're stopping the hitting stops here with me um and so that was really powerful for us and we and then it felt bad there was some guilt because my cousins would still get that yeah. kind of treatment you know yeah. and then yeah. then there's some resentment right for me and my brother like of them towards us so it was kind of messy it was a little bit messy like but you guys were the best. favorite or something i guess yeah yeah that's sometimes that's like what it could look like um it was interesting but i really commend my mom because i want to put this in context she had me at 19 so she was doing all this in like between 19 and 22 standing up to her own mom she was, was still a kid yeah oh, she was yeah she was still a kid but my, my parents at that time, it made sense for my dad to join the, mil the military because that's how mm -hmm. there weren't a lot of um, opportunities for Latinos. Like what else could, what else was better, right? What if we didn't have resources? And, and so that's what he did. He joined the military. So the other piece to this was that she moved to California with him, right? And me as a baby and we lived on base and the base takes care of everything for you. So I think the other piece she had going for her was she was not financially as much financially dependent on them because the military provided food and housing for us. Not a lot, but you know, they had the basics. Yeah. And I, I do think that allowed my mom to have a little bit more power to be able to like go against Back her own mom. Right? Yeah. So there was some p points of privilege that I think, um, for her, but she was amazing. I was like, how did you do that? So young stand up to your mom. Cause my abuelita is a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know what I feel that in the Latino community, especially for women, it's hard at whatever age. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it I, really doesn't. I still, I still find myself sometimes uh, regressing a little bit, you know, when my mom's around. Because um, she'll say, get something done. And my ass will get it done, you know. But it's because <laughs> I was so conditioned to get it yeah. done and get your ass whooped. Yeah. So, till wow. this day, you know, I had a conversation with my older sister. We were vacationing in Mexico. And my dad had, like, a barbecue with family members and stuff. And it was a mess. There was a mess. My mom's kitchen was a mess. And we looked at each other. And she was like, oh, we better clean it up because she's just going to be ranting the whole time about how she has to do it. So we cleaned it up. And. You know, I did the dishes, and I Tetris the hell out of dishes. I don't know why, but I stacked them super high. Out of the Are you good at Tetrising the dishes? <laughs> yes, it's like a super skill. Put that on. Yeah, I love put it. Put that on the resume. That's you know. Yeah. First of all, it is, right? And my mom <laughs> walked in, 
sees everything clean. We didn't expect her to even say thanks or anything, right? She was just like, ¿Quién puso los trastes así? Se me van a quebrar. And I'm just like, we looked at each other and we laughed so hard because it's like, it's, it, she, no is who she is. goes unpunished. Yeah, yeah she yeah. is who she is. <laughs> yes that's my abuelita it's like you know it's it's like they don't like that's how they show their love or something because it's like they don't know how to be vulnerable yeah and be like like she could have easily just been like i mijas like you guys you guys didn't have to do this like thank you so much for clean you know but it's like no, no le nace because that's not what she knows that's not how well, she grew up, it know? depends on how she's how she's feeling like sometimes um, when we're pregnant or have little, little tiny kids, like my mom's all over our houses helping clean and things like that. But it was just that she was upset with my dad. And we knew when they got rich, everybody get out of her way, you know. So, mm-hmm. but it was just, it's it's embracing the good, but at the same time knowing that it's, it, She's she has to make that conscious choice to be different. If not, we have mm-hmm. to decide: do we want to engage? Do we want to kind of stay away, create a distance to allow ourselves to, to in essence, heal um, a lot of the upbringing that was damaging? Because it was mm-hmm. it was damaging. You know, it was it was hurtful. And, yeah. And you might have an idea of it, but then I think in the process of raising babies, you confront that at every turn. I fight. You have opportunities. I fight all the time from my mother coming out of my mouth. Cause yeah, it's like a whole process. Yeah, mm-hmm. cause you you yeah. you say the things sometimes that they would say to you. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, my stepdaughter. Cause I'm gonna come from a whole different perspective of step parenting, right? So like, I didn't. Still hard with her, but she's amazing. I well, you know what? It's hard because you got to get their buy-in. They can choose you, so it's a little scarier. Yeah, scarier, right? Like at eighteen, you could choose me. So um, we have a very good relationship, and she's amazing. I like truly love this girl and how she's grown. And but I noticed that she likes to eat plain and tiny, tiny pieces of meat. Like she wants like a tiny piece of chicken and like a couple pieces of broccoli and like a little thing of rice. And it takes me everything not to be like, well, that's all you're eating, right? Because our we, my family food pushed like mm-hmm. huge. Like my Walitha was like, you're gonna have this big ass plate and you're gonna have seconds, right? Like she There's, asks you, but that's just uh, yes. formalities. Yeah. But then they yeah. tell you, like, go you look in her eyes and she's <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. By the way, right? So it's everything. At first, I was just like, you're, that's all you're gonna eat, and I realized no, like don't do that because that's how she wants to eat. Or she doesn't like to mix food. So I'm like, how the fuck does that work? <laughs> it's a burrito? Like, how are you going to eat stuff? Like a taco? I guess we're not going to eat that. Yeah. I'm not going to have that. Or like she doesn't like spicy food. There's all these things that I'm just like, I want to judge the hell out of it, right? Like, how mm-hmm. is that possible? Me and my fiance are constantly like, who is that? Whose child is that? <laughs> because she's like, I just want a plain burger. Just nothing. Just a piece of meat. We're like, this hurts. <laughs> But okay, you can order that like at a restaurant. But see, that's the <laughs> that we realize. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's letting them be who they choose to be, yes. and not it's not about us. All your stuff on them. It's exactly. and that's the hard part. So exactly, and so that whole thought process happens inside, never outside, and that's that work you choose to do. Yeah. 
So I was, I, we had a really good conversation. So I told my fiance, like, this challenges me so hard. Like, you don't even know because you all get to also, like, give her what she wants to eat. Like, she dictates what you're going to feed her. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen in my family. And I just realized how much we were just, like, I'm five years old and people are forcing me to eat this menudo that's hot as fuck. My girl and you finish everything. And you finish everything. And I'm over here, I'm like, I'm eating menudo at five years old. And you know, you're 10 or 12 and you get to say like, no, I just want a plain burger. And that's what you're going to get. Like just the being able to choose and then having like healthy portions. That to me was like, what? But then I realized, isn't that what you would have wanted? Like, isn't that would have changed your trajectory for your health? If they let you choose what she wanted and you can have a small portion and it was clean because she eats very clean. And that's why she looks like like a gymnast, like a volleyball player. Like she's very fit and she doesn't touch sports at all. She hates sports, actually. She likes drawing. And it's just like, but her body, she's very healthy because she eats so healthy. And I'm over here like struggling because that's my family pushed it on us. We just ate whatever they fed us and then however much they wanted to feed us. Um, And so it has been very healing for me to let her just eat the way she wants to eat. Like we're not having any eating issues in this family and you're not going to, we're not going to shame her. So I know that's been an active parenting process for me mm-hmm. coming from it's this really family. challenging that, you, right? Yes. It has been challenging me so much and maybe even inspiring me. I'm like, I should probably eat like her a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> she inspires me. I'm like, okay, okay. Maybe I will try a little bit of that. <laughs> you know, and, and I really love that, that Sirena, because I think you you bring up a really good point where we can learn just as much from our kids as they learn from us. Like for for me, it's that's been the struggle, but also the blessing where my healing journey didn't really like get kicked into gear until I became a mom because my children are my greatest triggers because I'm basically like looking in the mirror, right? And they're acting with me the way that I act, but I'm trying to be like, okay, I have to help create these healthy coping mechanisms for them and and, and, and helping guiding them in how to manage their emotions, their big emotions, which, you know, I want them to learn how to have them in healthy ways because I didn't. Now I'm still that way, right? So I want to have a tantrum when they have a tantrum. And it's like the learning has to start somewhere, right? So like being more intentional about how I speak to them when they're having tantrums or when they're fighting and and stuff like that. And I feel like I have healed more in these past couple years since I had kids past few years since I've had kids than I have in my entire life because they're bringing up all of these things but now I'm looking at them like like my inner child like the kid that I was and thinking how would I how did I want to be parented how did I want to be spoken to you know and and of course I still have my bad days where I'm just like having an awful day and I'm feeling like shit and they you know have a tantrum and Either sometimes I'll blow up on them or yell or um, I'll sit and cry with them too. Join with them. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say, I would just join. I'm like, same, same. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just like. I dealt with a bunch of bullshit too today. You know, and I'm just like. Yeah. Just learning how to do it. And I'm, and, and I'm learning as I'm trying to teach them. Right. Because I'm reading about these things, these healthier ways to talk to your kids and discipline them without, you know. Um, that chancla culture 
and I'm learning that too. So it's like I feel like I've, I'm learning to have grace for myself while I have grace for my kids and, and, and both of us learning on learning how to, to manage those big emotions and knowing that like, okay, it's going to pass. We try to do deep breaths. I'll try to do um, this little song with my oldest son because we watch this little PBS show called Daniel Tiger. And it's like, when you feel so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four, you know, and then we <laughs> four. And I try to do that with him, but when he's like at the height of his tantrum, he's like, no, Daniel Tiger, no deep breath, no, you know, it's like, no, everything. So I'll just like, I do it myself without trying to push it on him. And then he starts following, just kind of, kids yeah, learn like, by watching. so I'm like, if I'm, if I'm, if I get myself to a calm place and he sees that, then he's going to model that behavior because yeah. if I'm continue to lose it, you know, then then what am I teaching them? You know, how am I going to break these cycles? And that's that's the really hard work. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're raising Latino males, um, that could really translate later into a more peaceful, healthy relationship because we have so much DV in our world. And oh my gosh, like, yeah. I know my, my own father had issues handling his big emotions, mm-hmm. right? And so big emotions, he, he let them out. He let us know. So there was some physical you know, abuse and throwing things and just, t- he threw adult male tantrums, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that was hard because when I started dating, I accepted that more than I should have because I was like, oh, I know how to handle this. I know how to, like, you know how to handle it. So you don't think it's bad. You just think it's a dynamic that you actually already know how to handle. Yeah. And I allowed it in my life when I dated, um, until I didn't, of course, right? Because I'm a chingona and I healed myself from that. But there yes. was a time when I was like, oh, there's a reason why this doesn't phase me. It's like familiar. Yeah. Um, and wow, that shouldn't be that way. So anyway, so having boys, yeah, like just helping them handle their big emotions can super help them later keep relationships, right? And to stay out of all that drama and not causing harm and and all that. So I really commend you for helping him with that little <laughs> cute yeah, little song. I mean, and honestly, it's probably helped later. me. That little song's probably helped me more. Than <laughs> help, you know, at least it's helping somebody. Like, but yeah. that's really true, Sirena. Like, I think about that a lot. Like, especially like changing the narrative of toxic Latino masculinity. And like, I'm like, I think to myself, like, fuck, how am I going to raise compassionate, loving, kids who are understanding and who, who are going to be allies and understand the female experience, even though they're not going to be yeah. growing up with sisters, you right? But, own your girlfriend. But I, you know, I try to just yeah. be as open with them as I can. And I'm like, all I can really do is just shower them with love, try to model the behavior that I want them to have and not just like tell them this is how you're supposed to be. And then, you know, I'm not following through with my own, you know, ways of, of, of teaching them how they should be and also teaching them about like even like the female body and like my son knows that he has a penis and I have a vagina and sometimes I'll be like I want a vagina you know and I'm like well no you you were born with a penis you know but just like teaching him those things and when I've been on my period and he sees me you know changing my tampon and so I talk to him because I'm like I talk to him about it so he's aware so that maybe one day when he's in school and he's, you know, he's going through that 
awkward middle school age and he sees a little girl you know maybe she stains herself she gets her period for the first time and he goes and helps and gives her a sweater or something like I heard that story of, of a kid doing that you know and Aww. and I'm like that's that's the kind of men that I want to raise that's the kind of boys that I want to raise who understand that and yeah. even though they won't have sisters that but I can be that example for them too you know and it kind of changed that toxic masculinity yeah absolutely and i want to catch myself because i don't know we don't know yet what our kid's sexuality is going to be so yeah, if he wants female partners any partners yes. you know and if he wants a gina that's great one. but yeah either way it's the piece it's the way you handle your emotions right no matter who your partner is going to be it's just how you handle those emotions and and how do we cause less harm to each other mm-hmm. because in the work i do and possibly Annabelle, you've come across this, but the domestic violence, like working with survivors and just seeing how far male partners go to have power over their partner, it's heartbreaking to watch a woman stuck in in a, in a relationship like that. It's heartbreaking to see the power dynamics. Um, and it's scary to leave, like myself having been in a relationship, but it was scary to leave, you know, like leaving is sometimes the most dangerous part. It pisses them off, right? But... So I think I yeah. Sorry to interrupt because then I'm gonna lose my train yeah, of thought. No, go and ahead. it's like it goes back to our mothers. How much our mothers endure is how much our children yeah. going to endure. And yes. it that's where you come in when you start breaking those cycles and you remove yourself from the things that your mother, your grandmother, your aunties, your cousins have dealt with for years. And put up with. And they put up with. Yeah. You walk away from yeah. it when everybody in your family didn't have the courage to do it because of all that internalization of what's going to happen if I do leave. That's exactly And sometimes why mothers are like, well, stay. why? Yeah. No aguanta nada. You guys get upset yeah. about any little thing, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. you're supposed to be help. You're supposed to be supporting me in this moment. You know, when you're going yeah. through some stuff. Like normalizing that behavior, right, in our culture. That's how men are. Really? That's how they are. Oh, they yeah, that's accept it. Mm-hmm. it. That's... They, they excuse it. Mm-hmm. They participate in that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I wonder, I used to wonder, like, what our life would look like if my parents had separated when when we were younger versus I was already in college I was in my first year of college when my dad decided to to move back to Mexico and but it wasn't my mom that left him he was the one that made the choice and I think I remember my sister telling me later that that my mom had said something like I would have never left him and it like blew my mind because you know, they just had such a toxic, abusive relationship that seeped into the the, the relationship, you know, they had with us and with, that we've had with each other as siblings. And it was just very, very toxic, very abusive mentally, emotionally, physically. And, you know, I look back now as an adult and I think a lot of times women, you know, are like, we want to stay for the children. I want to stay for the kids. Like we got to stay together for them and we got to, you know, keep the family together and divorce is not something that you do, you know, and, you know, I feel like it would have, maybe we would have thrived a little bit more 
or had less things to heal from, less less of those hurdles, less of those barriers, if they would have just separated when we were younger because it, you know, it wasn't good for them and it wasn't good for us. It wasn't good for their mental health and it wasn't good for our mental health, you know, but I think like the 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 moms of my mom's generation like they just you just you just stick it through you know with it you endure that's what you do i remember hearing um my mom i think telling me once that she had talked to her older sister about leaving my dad and that my my aunt was like no you don't do that that's what marriage is you just put up with it and i was like man, that's crazy. You know, it's, it's crazy what they used to put up with where, you know, we've talked about this before. There was like no language or framework around it, but now it doesn't fit in this life that we're living now in this country, in this day and age, you know, it just doesn't make sense. We're able to, to be independent, financially independent from our partners. And we don't have to put up with it because we feel like, oh, without them, I can't survive. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel bad because look, the capitalism in our country is out of control and rent is high just to get a house is almost impossible. Mm -hmm. Gainful employment's hard. So we also see these systems in place that make it hard for people to leave. And there are women who want to leave and can't because it is hard for them and to have childcare and pay for childcare so expensive. So how am I going to work and pay for this child and be on my own? Right. And choosing to be a single parent it's it's so hard so i do i feel like can we do some preventative work right can we teach our males like if you just stop being so damn abusive we don't even have to go down this path this doesn't even have to be a thing you know it's like why are you stressing your lady out why are you making her stressed out (laughs) you know and so i i think we do need to have a big movement and really encourage our latino males to check that toxic masculinity you don't have to get your point across by hitting or yelling you know, and that actually makes it worse. And there's just a lot of work we need to do because this isn't working for us, right? The the abuse and the uh, excusing male behavior through these generations. So I do feel like that first-gen parenting, it is all about challenging these spaces. It's about being brave. It's about, it's going to fuck some shit up in your family and, and really disrupt some status quo. And, you know, it's, but it's like, that's why I, want to bring awareness to first gen February and why we want to do this podcast series these two part is to just being bring awareness that being a first gen is so um it should be highlighted right I mean these are very special people it's a it takes a very special set of skills to break a generational cycle and you might be the one taking the brunt but then the next but you know you hope that the next generation has more peace and has more justice um, you know, I also wanted to bring up uh, another conversation around motherhood, and I feel like a, it's it's a lot more people are a lot more open to like moms taking time for themselves, right? Where mm-hmm. I feel like for a really long time, just culturally, it's like you're not allowed to be selfish, right? You have to put your your kids first, and that's not how it should be. You know, I feel like you, you can still be an amazing, loving mom and take time to do the things that bring you joy, that center you, that bring you balance so that you can be a better parent. 
I think it's important to get away from the kids. Um, I encourage it all the time. I say you need time for you. Um, It's hard sometimes because you do have this like internal, I don't know if it's biological or what, like you feel like you have to do everything for that baby because if someone else does it, they're not doing it right. Or at least that's how I felt. And I put myself in a position Mm -hmm. where I wasn't asking for help when I needed help. I wasn't um, removing myself from the fact that I was, you know, I had lack of sleep. Uh, I wasn't going out with my friends. I kind of detached from everybody. I was all about the kids because I didn't want to be the absent mom or the toxic mom. But the reality was that I was becoming unhappy with myself with all the work and the, I was taking on way too much, the burdens of having children. Cause it's, mm. it's hard. You do have to n- learn to not be selfish, but at the same time, not feel guilty when you need that time for yourself. Absolutely. And I mean, when did we ever really see our moms Never doing that? Right. At least day. for me, you know, my mom, my mom didn't even used to buy herself the clothes that she wanted and the things that she wanted for herself because she wanted to make sure we had everything we needed, you know? So for me, it's like, it's been very important to put myself first and on the forefront of my mental health and my healing, because I know that I'm going to be a better partner, a better mom Mm -hmm. and really help in, in, in breaking these these toxic cycles, right? Because otherwise, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're, you're, you're just perpetuating it. You know, people are like, oh, I grew up that way. I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't have to work on myself. I don't, you know, I'm not going to take away from the time, you know, that my kids need me. But I'm like, that's not taking away from them. It's adding adding value to to the parenting that they're going to receive from you. And the time you. that you do have with Right? Them. Yeah. 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 And let other people help raise your children. Like they need to be exposed yes. to different people and ways of thinking and diversity of thought mm-hmm. and see how other families raise their kids in their homes. Like let them spend time at a friend's house, you know, and just see how other ways are. Cause it can also sometimes bring perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember sometimes meeting other people's parents and I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm so lucky to yeah. have mine. Right. Um, my daughter has, a little friend that's uh, transgendered and they've been, they had been friends since TK and you know, 2020 happened and a lot happened for her. And she came back mm-hmm. as, as a boy, Henry. Um, but she tells her, you know, if you can't talk to your parents, let me tell my mom, my mom will help you. My mom will talk to somebody. And that's huge for me. Cause I'm like, she at least knows your mom and your people won't help you, but listen, my mom, she's gonna, she'll try and do something, you know, she'll help you. And it's like, to me, that is the best feeling because I'm like, I'm doing something that's allowing her to actually feel like she can even help other people because she feels so safe in this space. One thing that I noticed about first-gen parenting is, balancing that act of like retaining the culture and the language so how have you all approached like 
we're we're Mexican or we speak Spanish, right? Everybody here in this mm -hmm. studio today. But whatever language, you know, your parents come from a different country, speak a different language. What's that like introducing your children to your language and, you know, getting them to like in our case, getting them to speak Spanish or whatever language yes. first gen students. Well, yeah. well, that's hard. So it was hard growing up. Too. Yeah, growing up, um, we were the translators, right? I mean, we were very young and translating our parents' documents, doctor's visits, whatever they needed. Um, in my household, we were not allowed to speak English within the home, only Spanish. And outside the house, my dad would say, you can speak Chinese, you can speak English, you can speak whatever language you want to speak. But inside this house, se habla español. So I grew up with this idea of you have to be able to speak both languages, right? That was the idea. I remember that um, uh, La Estrella's older sister, her kids didn't really speak Spanish. And I remember talking shit and be like, man, dude, you got to teach your kids to speak Spanish. <laughs> and, right? And I have my kid and she is about maybe almost four and she's very, she's saying very minimal things, you know? And I'm like, she should be talking by now. I feel like we all in my family, we were like little parrots, you know, mm -hmm. just yapping it up. And we took her to a speech pathologist. And they did like a series of little interviews and tests with her and stuff. And she's like, oh, no, she's very bright and she can speak. She's just, she has language confusion. She has yet to choose which language she wants to go with. So some kids mm. and some people have this ability to interchange languages easily, mm -hmm. fluently. But then there's other people that understand them, can hear them, can translate them in their head. But when it comes to actually verbalizing it, it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So I speak to my children in Spanish but they'll answer me in but English. But understand everything. They do not speak Spanish. Yeah, they do not speak. They don't try to speak a lick of it. And it's hard mm -hmm. <laughs> because we grew up in this, you have mm -hmm. to speak Spanish at the house. So <laughs> I get a lot of shit from my parents. Mm -hmm. um, they've kind of gotten used to it because they're so old now. But, you know, they speak to them in Spanish and the kids will answer in English. And they're able to translate from Spanish to English, but the other way around, I get my little guy's like, I, I can think about it, but it's just not coming out. Yeah. So it's really hard because my siblings, other people, they're just like, ah. It's so easy to judge. Wow. I can't believe, you know, that no palen la frente and they don't speak Spanish. It's because you just don't understand. I was totally like that too. I used to judge my sister, because my nieces didn't speak Spanish, they understand it. And actually, if they, they can speak it if they want to, um, because all she spoke was Spanish to them when they were little. But then, you know, they start school and everything is English. Right. Mm -hmm. And I see it with all of the, the nieces and nephews, like on my brother-in-law, in my brother-in-law's family, mm -hmm. in my husband's family, like the kids don't speak Spanish. Some of them understand it. Um, but they don't speak it. And even my kids, like at home, I speak probably, I would say now about 85% Spanish, but I'm the only one 
because like me and my husband, we only speak Spanish, we only speak English to each other. And I can't express myself in Spanish the way that I can in English. So a lot of times when I'm trying to speak Spanish to my kids and I'm trying to convey a message or something, and I don't know how to convey it in Spanish because although I was born in Mexico, I was raised here since I was two. So even though like I was ESL growing up, uh, I don't know, I kind of feel like I kind of learned them around, at the same time. But at home, all we spoke was Spanish mm -hmm. with our parents, with our extended family, our tios, our tias. It was all Spanish at home. So for us, we were able to keep, right, Annabelle? Like you're able to keep that Spanish. You, We can speak it. We can write it. We can understand it. But now that like my kids' generation's coming, it's like so hard to keep it going because... Yeah. We don't speak Spanish with each other. Like, I don't speak Spanish with, with my sister. I don't speak Spanish with any of our, um, you know, friends, family, anything other than, like, my husband's parents. But, like, it, it, there's not that many people anymore in our family who only speak Spanish. So it makes it really hard. And my dad lives in Mexico. He's not here, you know, all the time around the kids. So, because mm -hmm. I would speak Spanish with him if he was here, right? It just makes it really hard where now as they get older, you know, it's like, how do you keep it up? And like with my son, it's the same like with Annabelle's kids. He understands everything I tell him, my, my older one. Actually, I mean, both of them. I've been speaking Spanish to them since they, they were born. But my older one responds everything in English. He speaks full on sentences now, but in English. Says a few words here and there, you know, agua, leche, stuff like that. But and understands everything, but he can't speak one full sentence in Spanish. And I'm like, how am I going to keep this up? You know, and I really want to send them to a dual immersion school. But then that's another thing, right? That's, there's not a lot. There's not, there's not very many, at least not, not, not here in the Sacramento area. Um, you know, because I'm like, I'm not going to be able to keep it up. I want them to be able to speak Spanish well, better than I can. My Spanish is like Espanol del Rancho, you know, like. <laughs> is it all Spanish? <laughs> no, no, I know. There's different versions yeah, there of Spanish. Is. True. There is, and people mm -hmm. will call you out on it. Like, ah. it's, Latinos can, can be a little asshole-ish when it comes to, to language and the different dialects. Because even yeah. though, you know, we're all from Mexico, each state has their own. Uh, dialect or draw or whatever right. that you know people frown upon or whatever but yeah. I just I don't I don't push them and make them feel bad because I know what that does mm -hmm. to people you know um yeah I think it's a sore spot we all I, you know those who speak Spanish yeah, those who don't yeah, that's a sore yeah. spot and but how we come to be that way is like colonization like it's very much everything here is dominant culture, right? English, American, yeah. everything like that. So we don't appreciate enough, like, bilingualism. Of any, and there's many, many languages too, right? And even within Latino culture, other countries, other languages, we have so many. But I remember even just the land that we're on right now um, in California, there used to be hundreds of different tribes and hundreds of different dialects and hundreds of different mm -hmm. religions, and they've all just been homogenized. Yeah by the word Indian or Native American, right? Mm -hmm. So we, this country does this horrible disservice where they just try to homogenize everybody and try to get everybody on the same language. And 
um, it's just that's not really how the world is. There's so many different languages out there. So I feel like Latinos don't need to be feeling shameful or bad. It's just that when you come here, it's like forced, like school. You Your teachers all speak English, so you, you're kind of forced to do that. And, and maybe, like, you know, you were saying, Annabelle, we don't know how your brain can process some of these... Like some of my cousins can step right in line and they picked up Spanish and they speak it fluently and it's beautiful and they are favored in our family, of course. And then there's some of us, I'm in the middle and then my brother and them are at the end. Or it's like those cousins, like, oh, they don't speak any, you know, Spanish. But the sad thing was that because we weren't raised in Spanish, because we were growing up on this military base where there was literally no one around. There was no, re my mom said there was just not a reason. Like we didn't mm -hmm. speak it anymore, but I, but they would speak yeah. it to their parents and any of their siblings. So we heard it in the home and we'd sometimes be yeah. like, you're speaking only Spanish to our family members. Like speak it to us too. And then she would say, well, I try and you don't want to listen or learn <laughs> it. So we we're not sure who's the right story here, <laughs> but it just wasn't prevalent. But we heard it. But the sad thing was, I love my abuelita so much, but there was some limits to how much we could really bond because of that language yeah. barrier, yeah. you know, and yeah. that always broke my heart. But I always felt so strongly connected with her. And we are still And my parents would send me to go spend summers with her. So I was able to like uh, just yeah, because she nice. doesn't speak English. So yeah. it was really nice for me to pick up the language that way. But she always would give me that. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to put. I try to put my kids in different settings, so I take them to Mexico. Like, that is my awesome. goal every year, to take them to Mexico at least for 15 Just days. Just immerse them. And, yeah, immerse them in the culture and put them in a situation where they feel like they're going to have to speak mm -hmm. Spanish. So some of my cousins out there, they're fairly young because we're the older cousins on my mom's side of the family. So we have really young little cousins. And... They're around the same age as my kids, and they'll talk to them in Spanish, and the kids are receptive, and they understand it and stuff, and, you know, ask them, like, what are you going to do? Talk back to them, you know? And my daughter's like, well, that's their problem. I understand them. They don't understand me. <laughs> so she's like, they should understand English. I understand Spanish. They should understand English, you know? So that's, that's their problem. Um, but putting them in, in a place where they they have to hear it and try to use it is really working out because um this last december when we went they did their first they went to like a little stand and they made their first purchase on their mm, own yeah i'll grow up because i was they wanted to go to the stand to check toys or something out and i was just like i can't we're handling some stuff at the carniceros you're gonna have to do it and they hesitated they looked at each other like <laughs> Ah, shit, we're really gonna have to do this. And then I actually like hid in the truck and I recorded the whole thing. Because I was like, this is their first purchase at Mexico. Aww. And it was like, they understood too. And they're like, if you want the toy, but if you want batteries, it's 10 pesos más. So like they totally got it. And I heard them say gracias. And Aww. I was just like super proud. That's so but my mother's learned a bunch of English though because of the grandkids. So I don't know if that's. Yeah. You know, <laughs> awesome. But it's tough. It's tough. Cause yeah, a lot of times yeah. I feel like there's parents. I know, like I have friends whose their their parents are the immigrants, and they wanted to learn English, so they said we're only speaking English at the house. Versus, you know, how you're saying Annabelle that your dad was like only Spanish here. 
but because it was going to benefit them, right? And now, now they're adults and they wish that they understood it better or more, but you know, you make that effort now. You take ownership of that and say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice it more so that I can learn it a little bit better. But it is, mm-hmm. it is really hard, honestly. It's so hard. Like, I, and, and, you know, even like looking back historically, like the, the Chicano Latino experience in California, you know, for, for those Latinos that are, you know, third, fourth, fifth, whatever generation where that was taken from them, right? Like as a way to homogenize and like um, um, make them assimilate to American mm-hmm. culture and not allow them to speak Spanish in in school settings, you know, disciplining them, hitting children for speaking Spanish. So it, you know, people grew up feeling like I can't speak this language. It's almost against the law, right? So I'm not going to teach it to my kids. I don't want them to experience that racism that they experience, you know, so I would have to think about that too. That's my, my dad, actually, that's the reason we were only allowed to speak Spanish because my dad went to school here in 1968 and they would get hit when they spoke Spanish. My, my, his younger, his sister that was born before him, she completely was like, I'm going to assimilate, you know, her kids have, um, English sounding names. Um, she was like, we, we speak English here. Their Spanish is terrible. But my dad was like, I was not going to allow them to take my language from me. So when he realized that we were going to school, he's like, here in this house, in these walls, you speak Spanish. And then also my dad's a college educated guy. So he, and he got to experience school in the United States. So the last thing that he wanted was for us to lose our language. And that's why he forced it on us. It wasn't, and because my mother needed it. My mother needed our ability to translate. Yeah. Because she was just like, yo no voy a hablar inglés. And now she's all like, she got into a little fight with some lady at Costco that was like, said some shit to her. It was like, fucking Mexicans. Because my mom kind of cut her off or whatever. And she's like, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> I was like, you should learn the bad words, right? You could always learn the bad words in another language. <laughs> That's so great. The journeys of first-gen parents, right? It's just all about being brave, breaking cycles. And so as we end the episode today, I guess I want to end with, like, what do you love about first-gen parents? And any advice or community or message you want to share with first-gen parents? I think first-gen parents are a different breed. We come with not just our upbringing, but we come with learned uh, parenting. Because most of us have been to college and have taken, you know, special specific classes like child development, psychology. Mm -hmm. We understand that there's more to parenting than just feeding kids and providing shelter for them, that there's other things that they need. Love, understanding, um, commitment. You need to be committed to your children. And as a first gen, I feel like it's important that you understand that you matter as a parent. Your kids are important, but you're also very important. Um, Your mental health, how you feel, is detrimental to their upbringing. Because you can only perform 
your best if you feel your best. And when you don't feel your best, it's okay. But it's okay to also let them know that you're not feeling your best instead of them having to figure out what's going on with mom Mm. or what's going on with dad. It's opening up to your children, I think. The way that our parents didn't feel like they had to or weren't taught to, you know? Yeah, that's huge. Having those lines of communication, right? Like, that's so big. It just really kind of hits home for me because I feel like my mom hid a lot of things from us. And I don't know if it came from, like, it probably just came from a place of, like, I want to protect you. Like, you don't need to know everything that's going on. Even though we knew we were experiencing it, we could feel it, you know, growing up. But I wish that I didn't know what she was going through at that time. You know, try to understand a little bit, a little bit more. And that's definitely what I would say to, to my first gen parents is like, just be open and give ourselves grace. We're, we're yeah, kind of doing this with, with, with no guidance or, or, you know, example of it before really. So we're going to, we're going to mess up sometimes and that's okay. And I think we'll catch ourselves and just having that awareness, I think will will take us pretty far. And well, I love first gen parents. Like we hope that this episode helped you feel seen, heard and valued and that you're very brave and you're trailblazers and you truly are building up the next generation of healthy Latinos who will go on and thrive. Well, thank you all for listening to our wonderful, wise first-gen parents today. And um, stay tuned. We've got lots more episodes in store this season. Adios. Adios. Bye, guys. Bye.